What about now? <laughs> I wish you could see your eyes when you do that. What about I have to get a crazy eyes to do ASMR? <laughs> we just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's <laughs> mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips. The podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. How you doing? Mom's practicing her hand motions (laughs) for our streams. (laughs) Yeah, I had to save some because if I use them all right now while we're recording our podcast, then when we're doing the stream thing, my hands will be too tired. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she can't. She has to do a little bit, but not too much. I have to reserve the good stuff when we actually have visuals. Yes. Although I have to tell you, and I'm not big on the visual thing. I don't, I'm not, I'm not sold on that. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll get used to it because we're going to do it again. I might start wearing like a mustache and glasses. One of those and, Groucho Marx yeah, things. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can do that. I could wear, I It'd could wear weird. like a different disguise. <laughs> Each time? Yes. It would be like, who is your mystery guest today, Anna? <laughs> I never have the same co-host <laughs> any week. They sound the same, but it's a different person. <laughs> it's odd that all those people have the same it's, voice. It is weird, but lucky me. Lucky, lucky you. <laughs> what number are we on anyway? 68. Okay. I'm holding you to that. Okay. That's a bad idea. <laughs> I only know the numbers of things we've already done. Not now. You're really good at that. So how about pre-rolls? Do we have any pre-rolls? Well, let's cinnamon talk. rolls. <laughs> we have been taking some cinnamon Crescent shots. rolls. No, I wish. That'd be good, wouldn't it? The pre-roll that I would say is join us for our live stream that we've just been talking about. Mm-hmm. We're doing one tonight as in the night we're recording, but then the next one will be the night after you hear this, if you're listening on the day it releases. That just confused the hell out of me. <laughs> Could you start again, please? Yeah, we're Could live streaming on Tuesday again, nights. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Okay. We're live on Tuesday nights. We're live on Tuesday nights. At what time, Anna? At 11 Eastern, 10 Central. Ooh, that's past my bedtime. Yep. Mom, but I, I have stay to up. weekend at Bernie's her. <laughs> I have to draw pupils on her eyelids. I'll be wearing my sunglasses because I will be sleeping during (laughs) that time. We also have some new reviews. Are they good or bad? They're very good. Okay, then it's okay. (laughs) Then we can read them. Okay, good, good, good. They're both five-star reviews. (gasps) The first one is called So Sweet and Fun. It says, Anna and Bonnie are the cutest pair of people in the entire universe. (laughs) I wrote that. Yeah, I wrote mom. (laughs) Deep diving into psychology and their wine glasses, Freudian Sips is a wonderful and fun exploration of mental health and the history of brain science. Wow. Their chemistry and cheerful, sugary, sweet personalities will bring a smile to your face and warmth to your heart. It did to mine. Oh, gosh. That person should be a writer if they're not. I know. Can we hire you? I know. PR work ahead. That's from Lily J on Apple Podcasts. And also five stars, my favorite podcast is what this one's called. I wrote that one too. Yeah. <laughs> Mom is just every single person on Apple Now podcast. that I've figured out how to do those things, it's going well. <laughs> you got to practice. Practice makes perfect. Got to leave 10 reviews. I've been listening to Freudian Sips every morning lately, and it's been my favorite part of my daily morning routine. I'm currently a rising high school senior and psychology nerd. I love the mother-daughter duo dynamic and comedy aspect mixed in with thought-provoking topics. Anna and Bonnie never fail to put a smile on my face, and I can't wait for more episodes. And that is from Biopsychosocializing on Apple Podcasts. That's an awesome title. Yeah, Yeah, I couldn't have made that up. That's awesome. I'm not that (laughs) smart. So it's not from you? That's not from you? Wow. Do you guys know how cool that is to hear from you? Thank you you guys so much. Those are so sweet. But did you get addresses so you could send them stickers? No. So if you guys are listening, email us. 
with your addresses and we'll send you some stickers because those are so sweet. That when they I would read take them, it warmed my heart as well. It warms the cockles of our heart. Don't. This is a family podcast. <laughs> no. Anyway, no, it's let's not. take another shot. <laughs> Pass the alcohol. Do you this is tell, a family. Do you want to tell the listeners what shots we've been taking? I don't know what those jello <laughs> things are. What the heck are those well, jello things? They're jello shots. So that's that's just, what they are. Yeah, Anna bought a barrel of it's jello shots. It's a small barrel, but it is a barrel. <laughs> it's pre-made jello shots and, and wow, wow, there's not a lot of jello in those shots. <laughs> I don't know that there's any jello in they those shots. They are jello shots it's, in name only. Yeah, they're they very are. You have to take a drink of water afterwards Yeah, or else, you need like, a chaser for the jello you, shots. You really do. They're very Potent. Potent. And then we had these cool little mashups. We've had these before. These are awesome. And they come in these fancy little um, like shot glasses that are like divided. Glasses. Yeah. These kind are called fiery apple. They're fiery. I almost got some that were strawberry sundae. Ooh, that would be good too. But I really like these. Okay. These kind of taste like fireball a little bit. They do. They're cinnamony. Like they're very apple. good. They're apple very... cinnamon. And when they're cold, they're very refreshing. Why are we doing shots tonight? Is there a... Just okay, we have so to get I got Jello shots, and my rationale is because Jello is a very sensory thing. Oh, which will make a little sense when we mention what we're talking about. Okay. So, Mom, what are we talking okay. about? We are going to tackle in this episode, and this is tackling because it it's a big one: the autism spectrum. Yes, it's it's big. It's big. We hope to get through it in one. There will probably be stuff that either we'll do a second episode to cover or maybe on our live stream we'll mention that we're talking about it and engage yeah. in a conversation with that. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. But yeah, we're going to try to... We've talked about this before that there are definitely topics that we haven't covered on our show or took a long time before we covered it because it seems so big. Right. It seems like a lot to cover. It seems like oh, we want to make sure we do this justice. So this is one of those. Right. And the other thing that I think Anna sometimes strikes me is that, I mean, we call this podcast, you know, the the beverages and brains and... You don't know our tagline. (laughs) You always say it. Brains, beverages, and other BS. You did it. (laughs) Wow. I was like pulling teeth. (laughs) That's your line, not mine. But... um, And so sometimes I think, and a lot of what we talk about, though, is really serious stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we don't ever want, and we've often said this, we don't ever want it to be like we're making fun of something we, when we make jokes right. during a particular episode. I, for me personally, there are some topics that I just feel a little more sensitive about. Like, I don't want anybody to think that we're joking about it. Right. So, so sometimes I feel that. That's why I always feel a little more comfortable talking about like historical figures right? and old-timey medicine because... And weird much, weird experiments. Yeah, pretty much no one's going to be offended if we yeah. take the piss about phrenology or whatever, but <laughs> <laughs> someone might be offended if we talk about, you know, autism yeah. and seem like we're making light of it. So. Right, right. So that's kind of our disclaimer, yeah. that we're not making light of it, that we are very much... Doing our best to be respectful. But we goof on things because that's who we are. We do goof. We goof on each other even though we love and respect one another. We jest and we jape. But (laughs) is that a word? Yes. It's a word. (laughs) Jape. Fun jests and japes. Of course. Would I make make up a word? Yes. Yes, you would. (laughs) Fair enough. Because you take after me. Little Miss Twofer. Which which comes later in in my little symptoms list. Oh, you're making up words in this episode? That people sometimes on the spectrum make up their own words. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. That's why I went ahead and took a test to see if perhaps I was on the spectrum. Because I hit like five of the symptoms, okay? And we talk about (laughs) this too in that like... It's both easy and hard to get a diagnosis from mm-hmm. the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, the DSM, which we've talked about a lot, which we will talk about a lot in this episode. Uh-huh. It's If you're looking for something, you can find it, basically. Absolutely. And so we've had times in our life where we have talked about people, perhaps people in our family, people we know, <laughs> and we say, they might be autistic. <laughs> so... Yeah, that is something that it's important to remember. If you're listening to this, don't do the Baby's First Psych Class 101 and say, oh gosh, <laughs> do I have that? It's a little more nuanced than that. Right. So. Although you might. 
You might be on the spectrum and be listening to this. You might, sure. Just like the other, some of the other issues that we've talked about yeah. on our podcast. So, so do you want to take it away and explain? Well, actually, first, can I start? Can I give a few like statistics? Yes, please do. So, when we talk about autism spectrum disorder or ASD, as we might call it, globally, autism spectrum disorder is estimated to affect 24.8 million people, uh, and that was just in 2015. In the 2000s, this number was one to two per thousand people worldwide. In the developed countries, about 1.5% of children are diagnosed with ASD, and that's as of 2017, and that's up from 0.7 in 2000. So that's like double the rate. Mm -hmm. It occurs four to five times more in males than it does in females. It's pretty prevalent, and and we'll talk about this a little later. I don't know if you'll talk about this, but I have some notes about it where, like, autism spectrum is one of those things that people say is so much more prevalent now than it was. Right. Um, but I will address why that might be a little later. Uh-huh. And before we get in, uh, a friend of the show, Michelle was recommending a book to me called Thinking in Pictures by Temple Grandin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, are you going to mention that too? Well, I, I read about it and the fact that he himself, the author, is, is on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. So. And it's about specifically autism in college. Uh, she also says that there is a bit of a trigger warning because it does talk about um, killing animals in it at one point. But it's about, she was saying it's about a person on the spectrum who came up with a more humane way to kill cows for the meat industry. So it, it talks about how autism played a part in that. It's, wow. Yeah, but she said, I distinctly remember being horrified at one point in the mm-hmm. book. So if you're, if you're going to read that or listen to it on audiobook or whatever, be careful. But that's my little statistics intro. Take it away, mom. Can I add one statistic? Yeah. That kind of is along the same lines that, but I found this, I mean, you know, when you look up statistics, you try to find like the latest one, right? Yeah. So I actually found one that said in 2020. Oh, In 2020, the CDC reported that approximately one in 54 children, one in 54 children in the U.S. is diagnosed with ASD. Many. Uh huh. And boys are four times more likely than girls to be diagnosed. I did not realize that. Yeah. But I found that in several places. I was like, wow. Yeah. Four to five times is what I saw. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. I wonder if that is a prevalence thing or a diagnosis thing. See, I think. I think that boys are more likely to be looked at for a diagnosis in that because of their behaviors. I believe that too. And the girls handle their behaviors differently Mm -hmm. and are socialized differently Mm -hmm. to handle their behaviors. I think it probably... Yeah, I I think there's some kind of gender thing going on there. I mean, there is legitimately like brains that are male brains and brains that are female brains. And this is just cis male, cis female, not thinking about LGBT stuff. But like legitimately, chemically, they are different and Mm -hmm. structurally they are different. So I'm not saying, oh, four to five times is probably just a statistical error or whatever. I'm saying there's probably more more to do with it. It's just skewed uh, a little bit. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think before we talk about the symptoms too, I would like to talk for a minute about, because you brought up the DSM and I don't know where you're going to go with that later, but do you later talk about how from the DSM-4 to the DSM-5, which we are currently using, Yes. do you talk about that, how it changed? Uh, Yeah. How the diagnosis Yeah, the basic the basic framework is that we had different autism diagnoses in do, earlier do you talk versions about that a little bit yeah but okay, if you have more about it talk about it well i just I, to me that's significant that in the dsm4 there were four separate diagnoses one was autistic disorder mm-hmm. one was asperger syndrome one was pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified and the fourth one was childhood disintegrative disorder mm-hmm. so so that's a lot of that's a broad range of yeah. information that was then boiled into one spectrum. autism spectrum yeah and so that changed a lot about the way that people were diagnosed and, right. and the I, things that happened there i will go ahead and tack on to that yeah from the dsm-4 to the dsm-5 those were taken away and the pediatric disorder pdd nos uh-huh. is a long disorder and asperger's were kind of I don't want to say replaced because they're not fully the same, but now we have social communication disorder in the DSM-5, which is kind of, it catches a few of those loose ends. But I will still talk about, especially Asperger's. um, I still still have a couple of clients who identify Identify as as Asperger's. They they use that term for themselves. So there's still kind of a hangover 
or holdover, not maybe a hangover. There's going to be a hangover is what we sometime. get after these jello yes. shots. But um, there's kind of a holdover that we still use some of that terminology that technically isn't in the DSM-5. So technically, we shouldn't be doing it, but right. we do. In the biz, in we the do. Biz. So let me start by saying the symptoms of autism basically occur in three main areas. The, the first one is the most obvious. That's the social interactions. Mm-hmm. That's where we look for the symptoms. But also we look at um, the second area would be verbal and nonverbal communication. And the third one is repetitive or ritualistic behaviors. And those are the three things that the three areas that we look at for symptoms. So then if you want to kind of talk about specific things that you would look for in a child... And, and we're going to talk about how you might be diagnosed. Most people are diagnosed when they are still children. Yeah. But sometimes not. Sometimes people, and as a matter of fact, right now I have a client who wasn't diagnosed until she was in her 20s. Oh, wow. And so sometimes it just slips through. That's happening more often with ADHD too. Exactly. Where people are being diagnosed with that in adulthood. Exactly. But there's usually a specifier in the DSM where symptoms had to have started. I don't know if this is the same with autism, but they have to have started in childhood. Right. Even if you weren't diagnosed until later. Right. That is correct about being on the spectrum as well. Thank you. You did good. (laughs) So if you're looking at a child um, who has certain kinds of social symptoms you're going to be looking for these things by the time they're eight to ten months old although we don't usually diagnose a child until they're 18 and 24 months but eight to ten months old you start to see some things like by the child's first birthday they don't respond to their name if you call their name and and as I read these symptoms, some of them are going to be like, whoa, that's mm-hmm. a big thing. And some are going to be like, well, a lot right. of kids do that. Right. But that shows how it's a spectrum. Playing, sharing, or talking with other people just doesn't seem to interest him or her. They use male pronouns all through this list. He prefers to be alone. He avoids or rejects physical contact. He avoids eye contact. That's a big one. Um, when he's upset, he doesn't really like to be comforted. He doesn't understand his emotions, but he also doesn't really understand the emotions of others either. Mm-hmm. Like when you go to pick up a child, a little child, they don't reach out their arms oh, they uh, to be picked to up or yeah, or to walk with somebody. You know, when you reach for a little one and they kind of reach up to walk with you. Um, those are the kind of symptoms that you would look for in a little child. And again, like Anna said earlier, if your child is doing some of those things, you shouldn't like panic and say, oh my gosh. No. But by the same token, it is really important. And the more research that's done, the earlier that you are able to have a diagnosis for a child, the more positive reactions a client usually has to treatments. And we're going to talk more about that Yeah, eventually. it's tough because there's definitely danger in not diagnosing early enough, but there's also danger in throwing a diagnosis on someone who doesn't need it. Exactly. That's exactly right. So, rock in a hard place. <laughs> exactly. And like Anna said, a lot of the things that you see in a person who's on the spectrum, you might see for other diagnoses as well. Yeah. So it gets a little confusing. Because, like, if you're socially anxious, you're not going to want to play with kids either. Exactly. Okay, so when you look at the communication skills of a little child, about 40%, that seems like a big number, about 40% of kids on the spectrum will not talk really at all. Mm -hmm. Between 25 and 30% develop some language skills during infancy, but then they, they will later lose them. Um, that's a whole regression thing that happens so, sometimes. So are they saying 40% of people on the spectrum are nonverbal? No, I think when you're looking at little oh, at like infancy, specifically little kids. Little, little bitty kids. They don't speak when they're little. Most have problems with communication. These are just some of the things that would happen. Delayed speech and language skills, a flat kind of non-affective speaking voice, or like a sing-songy voice. Oh, Their sure. voices are very unique. Saying the same phrase over and over again, echolalia. Echolalia? Is that what that's called? Echo, something like that. Something like that. Echolalia, I think is what it's called. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm trying to decide I'm not if that 100% like... Echolalia. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like a yodel. <laughs> and also, it sounds like a venereal disease. Oh, jeez. No, that's <laughs> not what it is. I should have used protection. I got the echolalia. It's bad. <laughs> That is very disrespectful. Um, (laughs) Problems with pronouns, but they like say you instead of I. Like it's hard for them to personalize 
Oh, okay. So they struggle with that kind sure. of pronoun. Not using or very rarely using common gestures. Like like they won't be the one to wave goodbye or to point to somebody because they don't use the same kind of gestures. So they If do, someone waves to them, will they wave back? It depends, but not as likely as mm. a child that, that is not on the spectrum. Um, and this is a big one. Not, not recognizing sarcasm or jokes. Right. You know, that they just don't get it. Or when you use phrases that are... Uh, I can't think of any phrases right now, but but one that oh like two the bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Or <laughs> That's the only thing I can Killing think of. Killing two birds with one bush. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, those don't make any sense to people on the spectrum. I can see why. We'll burn that bridge w- when we get to it. <laughs> Those are called malaphores, by the way, when you put two commonly used phrases together. And that one's my favorite. We'll Mal- burn that bridge when we get to it. Malaphores. Malaphores. Hmm. Is that like a French term? I don't know. Malaphore. Sounds like a French word that means illness of putting words together or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, that's, that's what it means. It's a blend of malapropism and metaphor. Oh, oh, oh that makes sense. <laughs> Does ah, it? <laughs> oh. Does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't, but whatever. <laughs> Children with ASD um, sometimes act in very unusual ways. And again, we're talking about spectrum. And so some of these descriptions would be children who are on the severe end of the spectrum. Right. Uh, repetitive behaviors like flapping their hands or rocking. And that's kind of that years ago that we had this very limited understanding of what autism was. Right. And so in, in movies and things, you would have this specific stereotypical person with autism you know yeah there's often that like they'll they'll like hit themselves on the mm, head and mm-hmm. their hands will be in fists rain man is what yeah, i always yeah, picture yeah. when they get upset yeah that they yeah constant moving like hyperactivity mm-hmm. which is one of those things where that could blend or you know right? kind of be confused as something we have else. a whole disorder for that's hyperactivity. Right. fixations on certain activities or objects We've talked about that really cool show. I think it's a cool show on um, Netflix, Atypical or... That sounds right. Atypical, maybe. Mm -hmm. But the boy, uh, a young man who's like high school, college age, who is on the spectrum, his thing is penguins. Oh. He's just, you know, obsessive. But then even something like that could go into the whole being obsessive about something. Right. There's there's a whole disorder for that too, yeah. And, And here's another thing that could go to that disorder. Specific routines or rituals... Could go in a whole nother thing. That could go in OCD. But here, this goes with our shots. Uh, extreme sensitivity to touch, light, and sound, and special sensitivity to anything, you know, it could be physical sensitivities. Yeah. Not really taking part in make-believe play. They can't really do the pretending they thing. They can't really abstract. Abstract, that's a great word. Fussy eating habits. Sometimes lack of coordination and clumsiness fits in there. Um, and impulsiveness, acting without thinking first, not having any, that filter that kind of keeps you from saying things that offend people. Sometimes. But that's less, like, so in uh, attention deficit right. hyperactivity disorder, impulsivity is a whole thing with that too. Right. But that's more like, it's not like they don't get that that's offensive to someone. It's that they don't think about it before they say it. Right. But with someone on the spectrum, it's more likely to be like, they really don't understand why that would be offensive. Right. That doesn't click with their brain exactly and short attention span which is one of those symptoms too that could lead you to maybe diagnose them in another direction right so you know some people start to see certain symptoms in their very young child and they're often because children don't reach those milestones Mm -hmm. i I was thinking mile markers what is that (laughs) you're driving on the highway what are those things yeah mile (laughs) markers that your baby's supposed to be and we do as parents i i can say this as a as a parent I used to have babies. Oh, there's one now. Hey, that's me. (laughs) And you would watch those babies to see like, oh, are they doing this, you know? And and of course, you always think, oh, my baby's so smart because they're doing this like two right. months and early. We talked about this. We had the very long series about development and psychosocial stages. <laughs> seven part. The seven part <laughs> series. I think it legitimately was. At least I six was parts. Uh, that you Five said that. Seven, I, I know, know as a joke. I think I that's think true. Was. Oh my god! But, <laughs> like we talked about mile. Damn it! Now you've got me doing mile markers. Mile markers in that one too. <laughs> and it's there's such a wide range. Like there's right. there's like a four month range where your kid like before and after where your kid might hit that milestone. So milestones are 
pretty <laughs> pretty right. loosey-goosey anyway. But let me give you just some of those smile markers. Sure. That's just the thing <laughs> that we're saying. Our now. babies smile by six months. And we all know the babies smile way earlier than that. But if they're not smiling by six months, you start to get concerned. If they do it before that, it's probably gas. Let's be real. <laughs> no, <laughs> not my babies. They smiled because they knew everything about everything. Right out of the womb, we were smiling. <laughs> they were smiling. Little ones should imitate facial expressions and or sounds by nine months. Babies should be cooing or babbling. I say should be. This is like those, you know, yeah. those markers. Coos or babbles by 12 months. Gestures by 14 months. Like they point to something they want. Or they sometimes they do, They flip you <laughs> off. Or they wave goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Some of them even throw kisses. They do that little thing with their hands. They probably should be speaking single words by 16 months. And phrases of two words or more by 24 months. So parents who are watching their children for those milestones and don't see them, that could be an indication. Right. And that's one of those times when you ask your physician for further testing and to see if if there might be something to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to stop or do you want me to talk about <laughs> I, <laughs> you want me to ever stop or So 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 you we look at that like symptoms in a little bitty child. Right. But if you're an adult, you might be on the spectrum and because on the spectrum of there's there are three levels of severity mm-hmm. and so if you're at level one and a low level one y- y- you might have gone through your whole life and just not really right really been called on that because maybe you were just socially awkward you felt a little socially awkward you have a hard time looking in people's eyes when they talk to you yeah so you think well that, that's just because i'm shy that's because i have social anxiety but if you were an adult and you're looking for symptoms that you might have, they would be kind of the same things. Like if you have a difficult time uh, interpreting what other people are thinking or feeling, mm-hmm. like you really can't quite understand why why they're acting that way and you have a hard time empathizing with what they're thinking. If you have trouble interpreting facial expressions or social cues, that's a big one. If you can't read a room at all. <laughs> yeah. If you have difficulty regulating your own emotions or you have trouble keeping up a conversation. Maybe you're, the way that you speak does not really reflect your feelings. Like you've got that kind of non-affective yeah. voice. Yeah. Tendency to engage in some repetitive and routine behaviors. Perhaps you have a real strict consistency to your daily routines, which could also be another diagnosis. But And when that routine is out, it really sets you off. It just makes you out yeah, of balance. Yeah, if you're just you not know. really good at change. Right, exactly. Or if you, this is an interesting one, if you have really a deep knowledge of one particular topic and you just like get obsessive about that one topic. That hyper-focus thing is also an ADHD thing though. Yeah, there there are several of those. Yeah. When I was reading some of those, I was like, oh man, <laughs> I think I might. So I actually did take a self-test. Did it give you like a they severity gave, score or whatever? Yeah, they, no, yeah, I'm like, I'm not, <laughs> not on the spectrum. I don't know if that's good or bad, but like they, they have 80, like you could get up to 88 points and at oh. certain levels you can be, and to be in level one, you had to hit like 30, I think, oh, or wow. 35. Yeah. And I had 14. Oh yeah. So yeah. I wasn't, once I started answering the actual questions, I mean, when I read the list of symptoms, I was like, well, I'm kind of like that. Well, I'm kind of, but then when I actually read the questions, I was like, no, nah, I'm none of those things. So yeah, it was pretty clear when I actually read the self-assessment that I was not. Not that I really thought I was. I mean, I got lots of stuff, but I don't think that that's one of them. So, <laughs> And again, there's just so much overlap and there's so much, I don't know, that mm-hmm. could be other stuff. Exactly. Okay. I'm going to stop for now okay. and let you do some talking. You did great. You want to take another shot? Yeah. <laughs> you deserve a shot for okay, that. Okay, wait. Reach jello one or the apple? I'm going to have an apple one. You're going to have a jello one? I don't think I could talk after I was having just going to say, I don't ones. think that would be very good audio yeah. entertainment. We might do That's one of those slurping. on the stream. <laughs> there's use, like, can we use a straw? And there's like, I don't think that would be, do we have like boba straws? <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. I held Woo! that in my mouth for too long. It's like green apple. It's like. It's very tart. Kind of tastes like apple pie. Uh, wow, you really it, have a facial thing going on right now. If it punched you in the face. It's like an apple pie punching you in the face. <laughs> yeah. With anger. With anger. <laughs> Not like a kinky love thing punching time, you in the face. One time in college, a friend of mine made apple pie shots. Mm. And it was... Sounds delicious. It was it was really good. I think it was Fireball and something else. But they walked around with this gallon jug of it. Like <gasps> walked around campus and they had like cinnamon sticks dissolving in it. And so if anyone asked, they were like, oh, I'm making like apple juice. 
But if certain people asked that were like more in the know, like when I asked them, they're like, oh, it's apple pie shots. Oh, jeez. I'm like, there's alcohol in that? And they're like, yeah. I yeah. just want to make sure A it's lot. okay. Yeah. <laughs> College was the Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> That's what college is about, baby. Oh my gosh. So let's talk for a little bit about, we've we've thrown around the term spectrum a few times. We have. So, so let's talk about what that means. Like mom said, in the DSM-5, which is the most current edition of the Diagnostic and Statistic, statistic Manual, I can't say that word even sober. I can't. Autism is technically autism spectrum disorder, and this is just a way to group a few neurodevelopmental disorders with autism. So, like mom said, Asperger's is one that used to be a different diagnosis in previous DSMs. And the reason it's a spectrum, the reason we call it autism spectrum disorder, is because, like, I mean, as we've heard that mom, you know, talking about these symptoms, there's a wide variety in the type of symptoms, the severity of symptoms. Mm-hmm. ASD can occur in any ethnic, racial, economic group. It's it's very wide. It can look very different. Yep. And actually, a better thing that I've heard than even the spectrum thing, I, I, I think the spectrum is important to look at because there are severity levels. Like mom said, there's three severity levels and that goes from low to high. So there's, I think, low, medium, high. That is important to remember that there are people with autism who don't need as much support. Right. But I've also heard the metaphor called the Sunday bar metaphor. Have you ever heard that? Just from you. <laughs> and I like it. So the Sunday bar metaphor is either something that supplements or replaces the spectrum thing, kind of depending on how you're looking at it. Uh, there are some people with autism that I've seen commenting like on, on forums and stuff that only looking at it as high or low functioning can be kind of limiting. It's too limiting. I agree. Yeah, it, is. It, it doesn't look at the real variation of... It's it's not like, oh, if you're a low-functioning person with autism, you're going to have 10% of these symptoms. Right. And you're going to have these 10 symptoms, or you're going to have these 15 symptoms if you're medium. Like, it, it's different than that. Mm-hmm. So that's where the Sunday bar metaphor comes in. It, instead, it can help to look at it as a Sunday bar where you have all these different toppings and flavors and the different toppings and flavors are different symptoms. Right. And there are going to be symptoms, like I saw one person explaining it, where like, you know, there's going to be symptoms that almost everyone has, like sprinkles, like almost everyone gets sprinkles on their Sunday. So sprinkles might be like the repetitive motion thing, because mm-hmm. that is really common in people with autism. So there's- The lack there's, of eye contact. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's going to be ones that are more common. I mean, like chocolate ice cream might be the self-soothing <laughs> things you know mm-hmm. that that's going to be pretty common but then there's going to be you know people with different symptoms that other people with autism don't have and that doesn't mean one of them is it, it could be the same severity level even right it doesn't mean that they're different diagnoses they could both be people with autism but it's going to look different and and really this is important to look at for any mental illness. I don't think it just matters with autism because, I mean, I've worked with a lot of people with depression and anxiety and everyone looks a little different. Exactly. I mean, I myself have struggled with those things and still struggle with those. We talked about that in a previous episode. I think it was when we were talking about how to live with someone who has depression Mm -hmm. or any mental illness. We talked about how just because you and I are both, you know, like if you and I are sitting here and we both have a diagnosis of, say, depression, we could have very different symptoms. Mm -hmm. We, our lives could be very different. Our brains could work very differently. Right. And that is absolutely, I like how you said that. It's absolutely true about mental illness of any kind. Our brains are all different. They are. Really, when we look at these diagnoses, they're just a way for like mental health professionals and medical professionals to have like a common dictionary between them, especially the DSM to have like a common vernacular so i don't know there's a whole different conversation to be had with that and i'm getting to enough shots where i might be able to have it but (laughs) not right now not right now i'll try try to reel it back uh one person i saw added to the sunday bar metaphor that it's helpful to look at that because there are days when even they experience their autism differently than like the previous day Mm. so that day their sunday might look a little different right 
than the previous day, even though it's the same person dealing with the same diagnosis. But isn't that true of all of us? Yeah. I mean, you, you, I, yeah, I know I have, yeah, one day. It depends on the mood. It depends on. How much on, sleep did you get last night? Yeah. You know, did I eat too did much eat well? fatty food last night? Right, <laughs> you know, whatever. Right. Yeah, it's it's important to not, like, we're, we're talking about all these symptoms, but it's important to not look at people as a checklist, I guess. Right. Or there's no cookie cutters for... Right. For Sunday bars. <laughs> <laughs> there's Sunday bars, but not cookie cutters. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Do you want me to talk a little bit about the history or would you like to talk about like some of the causes? Do you have those? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those times when you say, what are the causes? And eh, we don't know. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> eh, we don't know. The biggest thing that comes up when you talk about the cause of autism is genetic risk factors. The researchers tell us that autism does tend to run in families. Changes in certain genes increase the risk that a child will develop autism at some point. If a parent carries one or more of the gene changes, they may get passed on to the child, even if the parent does not have autism. Right. Other times, these genetic changes arise spontaneously in an early embryo or a sperm and or egg and when they combine to create the embryo. But the majority of these gene changes do not cause autism all by themselves. They just increase the risk. Okay. And that's the big thing that I read over and over again. It's not like they can pin down this is the cause. Right. Environmental risk factors come in as well. Researchers have discovered that certain environmental influences does increase or reduce autism risk in people. Advanced age of the parent increases the risk, Hmm. which is interesting. Pregnancy and birth complications like prematurity. If a child is born before 26 weeks or there's low birth weight or also sometimes multiple pregnancies um, increase the risk of autism. And this is interesting. I thought pregnancy spaced less than a year apart in the same mother can can increase the risk. Irish twins? That's what they're called. I guess that, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. It took a minute for that to sink in, but yeah. I'm going to throw this out there at the risk of causing someone to be upset okay me (laughs) no not you that there has been a lot of through the years there was research to try to figure out what causes it and a lot falls on the whole vaccine argument and there's a lot about that can you uh can you real quick just ask me if vaccines cause autism do vaccines cause no autism? no they don't oh my god <laughs> okay oh my god so if if any one of our listeners struggles with this idea and doesn't just take anna's word for it can i there i'm are, already getting on my soapbox don't no, get off of your soapbox because what we're going to do because this will take too long so what we're going to do is say research repeatedly shows us that there is not a link between vaccination and autism. And if you want to research that yourself, you can go to the American Academy of Pediatrics where there is a huge, huge, huge list of research and you can read it for yourself. This stupid, harmful rumor came out of one, I'm already on my soapbox, I'm not going to get down, came from one study that was untrue, it was totally fabricated, and the person that did it got their license revoked because of it. It is untrue. It is causing people harm. And even if it were true, wouldn't you rather your children have autism instead of polio? It's not true. But even if... We shouldn't have talked about this. I shouldn't have brought it up. I knew that you were going to get fire in your bones. It's a mistake. My point is that there really isn't research that links the two. And there's a lot of research that disproves it. Right. And the bottom line is that researchers do not have an exact like it's not like this is the cause. No, it's that there it, there are increased risk factors, but, but not a cause. But we also don't know that about a lot of disorders. Exactly. Exactly. So that's not an argument for anything, right? It all comes down to the fact that our brains were made differently. Yeah. While we're on that, let's hop to the other side of the coin, which is uh, treatments. So there's nothing that cures autism. It is a lifelong thing. Like mom said, there's things with more, like there's symptoms that are more mild. The spectrum way to look at it, there are people with more mild forms of autism. 
And actually, I read that people who have more mild symptoms are likely to experience a reduction in symptoms over time. So kind of if it's more mild, you, I believe you kind of get it socialized out of you a little bit. Mm -hmm. And because the treatments aren't for curing, they're more focused on like psychoeducation for families, increasing the quality of life of the person with autism and the families really, especially if there's a more pervasive type, yes, if, they're, yes. if they're lower mm -hmm. functioning. And to make the person with autism kind of feel more in control of their life, feel more independent by giving them tools to self-care, to do social skills, to do job skills, all that kind of stuff. Mainly special education is really important, which is I believe that it's a good thing that we're getting more of these diagnoses because that means these kids can get the supports they need to succeed in school. Even if they're not technically on the spectrum, shouldn't we be providing them with supports in school to help them succeed? Great. Right, Perfect. right. I'm not mad about it. Behavioral. Shots make you fiery, Anna. <laughs> They're called fiery apple. What do you want from me? She's a feisty shot glass person. Once I have my, my soapbox out, I'm like, all bets are off. Gloves are off, guys. What else can I talk about while I'm standing up here? Um, feeling very tall. I feel very tall. Feel like I'm on top of the world. Want to shout things. <laughs> Behavioral therapy is very important. Speech and language therapy is important because we talked about that being one of the more prevalent symptoms. Uh, social skills therapy is obviously going to be extremely important because that's, I would say, one of the most common ones. It's just not understanding and not being understood. Right. Occupational therapy is also important just because that goes along with like the job skills and everything like that. Let's talk specifically about two methods. One is applied behavioral analysis. Yay, right? that's a big one. Yeah. Okay. And developmental social pragmatic model, which is called DSP. They're both very evidence-based, so there's a lot of research that says these are really helpful. Applied behavioral analysis, ABA, is also called behavioral engineering because it applies understanding of kind of how behavior works in real-life situations, not just in hypothetical, theoretical situations. The goal is to increase helpful behaviors and decrease harmful behaviors, which sounds very We all need that. Yeah. Everybody should do that. Maybe that's like the world today. part of life. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, the, there's specifically, I mean, obviously that's like totally boilerplate explanation right, of it, right. but there's, it's specifically geared toward helping people on the spectrum with that stuff. Do you have more notes on ABA? Uh, two things. First of all, ABA could be like an acronym for our business someday. Anna Bonnie Association. <laughs> oh, I was thinking analysis, but yeah. Anna Bonnie A. 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 <laughs> or it could be A, Bonnie and Anna. Anna Bonnie, always. <laughs> oh, ooh, okay, all right. Um, I just had a note that, that uh, research demonstrated that children who received two to three years of intensive ABA, which means we, intensive is a lot. It's yes. like it's like full-time school, yeah. okay? Like 40 hours a week full-time. But they gained at least 30 IQ points. Wow. Isn't that amazing? In two to three years. So, wow. Um, but that being said, I don't want to throw that out without saying that many people who are on the spectrum are actually at least average intelligence and some of them are are actually very high intelligence so just because a person is on this spectrum does not mean that they have a developmental delay right. or an intellectual deficit it, it, that happens sometimes but not all the time so uh, while we're on the subject of iq if you want to hear more about iq you should listen to episode uh, 41 where we talk about iq and such and also, we got a really cute mention on Twitter from someone who is listening to episode 41. Their name on Twitter is just S. <laughs> That's, I, I like that. That's I, even better than share. <laughs> it's so cool. They just have a letter. Yeah. So if you're, if you're listening to this and you mentioned us on Twitter, we like you. Hey, S. Hey, S. We like you. <laughs> Yeah, obviously, like, and especially the lower functioning people on the spectrum are going to need more intensive care anyway. So if we can do it and make them feel a little more independent, that's great. If we can make their functioning be a little higher. DSP, the Developmental Social Pragmatic Model, which is just a mouthful. Of course, we call it DSP. Yeah. Uh, is focused on forming positive, meaningful relationships with others. And it kind of builds on the current techniques that the child uses, which I think is really cool. So basically, even if the, the way that they communicate is kind of unconventional, the person will build on those things. You're not going to just say to them, you have to completely change. Right, right. That's really cool. Yeah. I like that. 
And it's also about like using natural activities and events as context to support the child's development and and how they communicate in those abilities. So again, it's kind of putting it in the real world because mm-hmm. and that kind of goes along with a person on the spectrum not being able to abstract very well. They need those real world examples because that's how they're going to learn to deal in those real world right. situations. Because I, I think if you want to empathize with that, if you're a person who's not on the spectrum and you're listening and you're trying to empathize with what that must feel like, if you try to just think about how much in our world, in our communication, in our social interaction with each other is not concrete. No. And and the way that we communicate with each other, that's, what's the word I'm trying, abstract is the word you use. That's a perfect word. Yeah. It's very abstract when we it communicate is. with each other. So if you're a person who cannot, your brain just doesn't grasp the abstract thing, Think about how difficult it is to stay in a conversation with somebody and to try to read their emotions and to try to pick up on their feelings and all that that we do all the time. The thing that I would liken it to is, so like I took, I want to say only two years of Spanish in school, but whenever I like listened to native Spanish speakers, I mean, there was nothing. I could get nothing. (laughs) So I'm like, with you. I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's like I should really be able to pick yeah. up a word here and there. Where like even if you n- technically know the words and technically know like the grammar, it's very different than actually speaking it. Uh-huh. And so that's, that's really true. Yeah, that's kind of like what what it's like to be on the spectrum, like just based on on what I've what I've seen. That's a good way to put it. I like that. It's just it's it's hard to put that into practice even if you technically know uh-huh. what it what's supposed to be happening uh-huh. that's that's a really good way to put it nathan and i are watching through community i don't know if you've ever watched the community uh-huh. uh there's a character abed who is i don't want to say he's the best because they're all the best <laughs> but he's he's got it's kind of everyone alludes that he's on the spectrum mm-hmm. uh but he uses like movies and tv to liken everything to uh-huh. and obviously in the show it's used as like a breaking the fourth wall situation where He'll call it like, oh, in this episode, it's about this. And uh-huh. and so it's funny because, haha, we're watching a TV show. But that is a really interesting look into how he theorizes and how he conceptualizes the interactions going on around him that are huh. sometimes very difficult to grasp. Uh-huh. That makes sense. So. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. One quick other note about treatment is this isn't technically like treatment for someone on the spectrum, but parent training is also really effective when it comes to things like a child being on the autism spectrum. And obviously this is just teaching the parents of a person on the spectrum how to implement the techniques that we just talked about, the ABA and the DSP techniques into their lives. And also just like any other disorder that affects children, it helps to educate parents, if only to give them a little more insight and let them be a little more empathetic. Mm -hmm. Because if they know that, oh, these things that my child does and these behaviors my child is experiencing are because of a disorder. Right. It's not like they personalize it. Right. They're able to say, ah, that's because they're struggling with a thing that I don't have and maybe I can't relate to. Exactly. And not like, oh, they're doing that to be disrespectful to me or something. Right, right, right. And just stop doing that. Yeah, can they just just stop? It's like, (laughs) no, they can't. Actually, no. Yeah, so it can help to to learn how this disorder can look, and like any disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can also help to just give parents mental health resources because we've talked a lot on the show about caregiver fatigue, mm-hmm. and that can really come in, especially with uh, lower-functioning people on the spectrum where they need higher level care and more pervasive care obviously parents are going to get kind of burnt out with that and they need to know that that's okay so like support groups can be really effective and just like psychoeducation courses being okay to leave your child with a caregiver so you can have a minute Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all that stuff is really important when you're dealing with that and I think I would throw in too that because uh, when we talk about treatments and we talk about the topics of mental illness, we often throw in notes about medication. And I would just throw in that technically there's not like a medication for being on the spectrum. Right. A lot of times if a person on the spectrum is on a medication, it's because of something else. Not It's not because they are on the spectrum right. that they're taking a medication. So Yeah, because just like any other mental illness, there's usually... There's comorbid Comorbid. stuff going on, yeah. And so they might be medicated for, say, depression or anxiety or something, but it's not technically because they have autism. Right. So I just thought I'd throw that in there. 
You want to wrap it up with history? Is that how you want to? Yeah, let's talk about history. And we kind of touched on this a little earlier that there's this modern idea that there's a lot more people with autism than there used to be. Mm. So people theorize that something is causing autism more than it used to be. I already got in my soapbox about like the, the <laughs> vaccines and stuff like that. It's not that. Like I said earlier, what's more likely to be happening is that there have always been this amount of people on the spectrum and we just weren't able to recognize it. I read a story about Martin Luther, who, if you're not a religious person, Martin Luther was basically the person who split, split. off <laughs> split off from the Catholic Church. Yeah, yes. So uh, Reformation. Yeah, so there's Protestants and Catholics. That was from Martin Luther, baby. Mm-hmm. There's a, I read a story about Martin Luther thinking a boy was a, quote, soulless mass of flesh possessed by the devil and that he suggested the boy be suffocated. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's um, not a good thing to be remembered the, for. The people that were writing about this were saying that the boy was probably severely autistic. Oh my. Um, just based on what he was showing. There are some critics to give credit to Martin Luther. There are some critics that say that this story was maybe false. And maybe, I mean, Martin Luther was a pretty uh, famous religious figure. So maybe it just got attributed to him. Not sure. But. I mean, I use the name Martin Luther, but that's probably happened. I mean, mm-hmm. we look at like exorcisms and stuff and that and a lot of those things can now be attributed to mental illnesses. So mm-hmm. it is very difficult to look at history and, and look at how many of those people were probably just really misunderstood, whether it's exorcisms or witch trials or well, whatever. Yeah. So it's there's a lot of that. In episode 60, we talked about feral children, and here's another. (laughs) Here's a bonus feral child, the wild boy of Aviron. Did we talk about that person? It sounds familiar. (laughs) It does. They were a feral child caught in 1798, and they showed severe signs of autism. The medical student uh, Jean Itard treated him with a behavioral program designed to help him form social attachments and to induce speech via imitation. Uh-huh. Um, so know. the question would be, was was Is he... that a nature nurture thing? Right, Holy right. Cow. Yeah. Quite literally nature. Uh-huh. <laughs> is, it, is it nature or nature <laughs> when you're <laughs> raised by wolves? <laughs> the new Latin word autismus, which the English translation is autism, uh, was coined by the Swiss psychiatrist Eugen Bleuler. You might recognize that name because he taught Carl Jung. <gasps> oh. Our boy Carl. In 1910, he coined the term autism. He was actually defining symptoms of schizophrenia. Oh, my. Yes. So, so he t- coined the term, but he was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. He coined the term for something else, but it wasn't right. <laughs> uh, he he used it to mean morbid self-admiration and in referring to autistic withdrawal of the patient to his fantasies against which any influence from outside becomes an intolerable disturbance. Which doesn't sound like schizophrenia. No. I mean, it does. It does. I, I think they were studying schizophrenia and they, they happened to be misattributing symptoms that right, were right. not for schizophrenia. But, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. It was one of those whoops. It was 100 years ago. It's, it's, yeah. We've, we've moved a long way since then. The word autism itself first took its modern sense in 1938 when Hans Asperger. Oh. Uh-huh. of the Vienna University Hospital adopted Bleuler's terminology in talking about autistic psychopaths in a lecture in German about child psychology. Asperger, this is going to be confusing, the guy, Asperger, uh-huh. was investigating an autism spectrum disorder now known as Asperger syndrome. And for several reasons, it didn't get widely recognized as a separate diagnosis until like 1981. So when we look at Asperger syndrome, it wasn't a a diagnosis until 1981. And then I can't remember, 2005, 2010? When did DSM? Five? Yeah. Not until like 2012. Okay. Officially. I mean, it was being built (laughs) before then, but... But still, like that's 20. like 30 years. I mean, that's not, I yeah. mean, it's it's, yeah. it's a long time, but it's not hugely a long time. Uh, a guy named Leo Kanner of Johns Hopkins Hospital was the first to use autism in the modern sense, kind of the way we use it, mm-hmm. um, when he introduced the label 
early infantile autism in a 1943 report, and he was studying 11 children who had striking behavioral similarities. And even still, when we look at this paper, there's a lot of symptoms that we look at now as being characteristic of, of autism. So he pretty much hit the nail on the head. Like he talked about autistic aloneness and insistence on sameness. So there's there's still symptoms that we look at as being pretty typical of the spectrum. Wow. The first person diagnosed with autism was Donald Triplett, and he was diagnosed by Canner after first being examined in 1938. He was labeled as Case 1, which wow. is... That's a lot of pressure, huh? <laughs> seems like a lot of pressure. Triplett was noted for his savant abilities, particularly being able to name musical notes played on a piano and to wow. mentally multiply numbers. His father, Oliver, describes him as socially withdrawn, but interested in numbers, patterns, music notes, letters of the alphabet, and U.S. presidential pictures. Really, like, that's that hyper-focus that, thing. Yeah, that goes to that being so concerned about a specific topic yeah mm-hmm. by age two he had the ability to recite the 23rd psalm and memorize 25 questions and answers from the presbyterian catechism good lord and he was also big in, in, in creating musical chords which probably went to his like ability to say the musical notes. right right and I, I do want to talk for just a second about the difference between autism and asperger's the short answer is that the way we look at it now they're not different which, right, because it's Asperger's is within autism spectrum right. now. The way we look at Asperger's is it's just a very mild form. It's like someone who's on the very low side of the autism spectrum. Right. And yeah, like you mentioned, there's still people that are a little bit heated about this because in that time when that was a diagnosis and they got diagnosed with that, suddenly when the new DSM comes out, their diagnosis that they use to define themselves and they use to get help Mm -hmm. is not there anymore. Right. And that's upsetting. So yeah, it's this loss of identity thing. And like I said, the social communication disorder came up. But from what I read, only like 5% of people who were diagnosed with Asperger's fall into the social communication disorder. So it's really it's real not. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really not the same thing. And we've talked about that before, that even though we say, you know, you don't like to put labels on people and you don't want to put people in boxes with diagnoses, a lot of times uh, with people who have struggles, it does give them a sense of comfort to finally be able to put a label for themselves on their issues, you know, to be able to say, this is why I feel this way. This is why I think this way. Yeah. So then as Anna said, that becomes part of their identity. And and if they had identified with that, you know, well, this is why I, you know, Asperger's is why I feel this way and act this way. And then all of a sudden somebody said, well, that doesn't even exist anymore. You know, you can't, that, that it's completely understandable that you would then feel very off balance and well then who am I and then what am I and what's mm-hmm. causing me to feel this way and right so makes sense that's all I have man well I know we're almost we're out of time running a little bit short yeah. on time but just a couple of famous people with autism yes on the spectrum Dan Aykroyd Da, da, da. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd, Susan Boyle. Remember her, the lady who sang on oh, um, Britain's Got Talent? Voice, mm-hmm. yeah. And this is, we've talked about before, how you can't really diagnose someone after they've already passed away. But what's that called when you do it? When you diagnose somebody who's already gone. You I think s- it's called just historical diagnosis. There you go. Albert Einstein. I have heard him attributed to like every single mental <laughs> disorder out there. <laughs> Well, it says Einstein showed many signs of Asperger's syndrome, which would now be on the spectrum. Who knows? That Temple Grandin person that you Mm -hmm. mentioned the book, Temple, she could not speak until she was four years old. So she had, you know, she was pretty severe in in all of that. Daryl Hannah, you remember that actress? Yeah. She had, she's um, on the spectrum. And Sir Anthony Hopkins. Really? There you go. Those are my famous people on the spectrum. <laughs> Those are famous people on the spectrum. So, how do we sum this one up? Um, if you think this is something you struggle with, ask someone mm-hmm. more reputable than us. 
<laughs> There's all kinds of research, all kinds of information. There are self-tests um, that you can kind of just get your foot in the door or stick your toe in the water or whatever metaphor you want to use. Sure. There's lots of stuff out there. Uh, if you're concerned about your child or child that you know, lots of information. So we always encourage you, if, if we touch a nerve or get you interested in something, that, to go and do more research and find yes. out more. And if you have specific questions, send us an email or or, or tweet to us or whatever you do to Anna. And uh, we'll try to get that <laughs> information you for you. Whatever you do to Anna. Whatever you do. Zapper. <laughs> Can I thank our listeners? Please do. Oh, thank you listeners so much for being here. Thank you for those really awesome reviews. We yes. really appreciate it when you send us those thoughts, those kind thoughts. And we appreciate you. And we hope that you will join us for our live streams, which is something new we're trying. But most of all, I also encourage you to join us for our next episode. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're Freudian Sips Pod on everything. Our site is FreudianSipsPod.com. If you want to get a hold of us directly with any questions about this or anything else we've talked about, we are FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. Especially send us your addresses. If you send us reviews, we'll send you stickers. It's a free sticker. Stickers. Who doesn't want a free sticker? Mom's already left her bike. Stickers! <laughs> She's gone. <laughs> Uh, we are also on Patreon if you want to support the show for a couple bucks a month. We're Freudian Sips Pod on there. And yes, please remember to leave us a nice rating interview wherever you can do that. I'm so stoked that we're kind of getting more reviews that makes us happy and it makes us easier to find. So it does help us out when you do that. Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod and it sounds like this. <laughs>